Today, we are discussing that age-old question, would you do it all over again? Would you go back and rewalk those same steps down that same path? We examine this from a creative point of view. Someone recently asked me, Rob, would you have done this the same? Would you do this the same today? It really stirred me. It really made me examine what we as the creative component uh, owe our audiences. What is the contract that we have with our audience in regards to entertaining you and, and taking you on a creative journey and what is required to do that the best? And, and along the way, are you required to create new worlds, to create new characters? Well, I'm going to examine the people that led me and my peers, the example that they put forth for us, how it affected us, and you will get my answer. Would I do it all again? You'll find out today on an all-new Observations. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Observations. I am your host, Rob Liefeld. I have been making and producing and creating and writing and drawing and printing comic books for over 37 years. So excited to join you each and every session that we share together. I am the Rob in Observations. And comic books was my passion, uh, watching them get made, watching them be produced and distributed and arrive on shelves is, uh, is, is a magic I still experience each and every time. I am so grateful that you have chosen to listen to this podcast. I don't say it enough how much I absolutely appreciate you all uh, uh, listening in, clicking on, whether I'm in your earbuds or in your car, I am so appreciative that you share this podcast with me, this experience, uh, born in the pandemic, born of just complete abject loneliness and my desire to talk about or commit to, uh, you know, some, some recordings, some, some audio representation of my love and my passion for comics. I have now been doing this, uh, going on three years. And I, and again, I'm just so grateful that to, to be, you know, coming to you through whatever method that you listen to this show and and today we are going to get right down to the brass tacks to the to the exact point of of a a very interesting question that was posed to me recently just a few days ago and the answers and the way it has sat with me and i have dwelled on it i i I feel like i i needed to to bring it forth you know in terms of picking topics for this show it started as you know, a walk through my own experience through through comic books, comic book history, my passion with the comic books, and that that has carried us through two hundred and how many thirty forty episodes, and it has been amazing to watch comic books transform in the way that they have from these, you know, four color newsprint uh, adventures that I consumed and could not get enough of in my youth to watching them become TV shows like The Incredible Hulk in the late 70s and the Amazing Spider-Man movies on CBS that I often discuss. By the time I had gotten into all this, the Adam West Batmans were in reruns. They had happened in real time. I didn't get to uh, experiencing, experiencing, experience those in, in like prime time where they were intended. They were stripped in the afternoons. I, I saw Batman you know, after, after school. He was on the four to five block, uh, the, the five to six you know, PM block and, and they double them up and I'd see multiple episodes, but I, I didn't live in a time where you could, you know, I'm old, <laughs> definitely, uh, an older fan fanboy, Uh, but, but I didn't 
experience. Like, what was it like to get these in prime time? Much less the original Superman, the black and white Supermans, uh, starring the actor George Reeves. So, for my generation, it was the 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 you know Marvel heroes like Incredible Hulk, and then there's the Linda Carter Wonder Woman stuff that was stripped out and 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 really had three great seasons. Never missed that show. Thought it was one of, if not the best representation of comic book superheroes uh superhero antics strength speed you know deflecting bullets it was all captured very well it, it holds up really well it, it, it was uh they stripped out like 15 episodes recently on a channel here in southern california called decades i don't know what it's called across the nation or globally but it's a you know a retro station they they show all the stuff that i grew up with as a kid including like the the, the sitcoms like taxi and cheers and so they did an entire weekend and I was like, oh, if I'm going to draw today, I'll, I'll draw watching this. Even though I have the Linda Carter stuff on DVD, even though I have a lot of those digitally downloaded, I just said, hey, I'll watch it with commercials and kind of takes me back. But watching comics transform over the ages, you know, and, and, and uh, has given me a lot of topics to pick from. We, we bounce between comic books, comic book creators, interviews, um, sales figures of the time. Again, the, 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 the aforementioned Adam West Batman was when Batman sold the best. Is that a coincidence? No, he was on TV in prime time and, and the sales of the, of the Batman books, you know, plateaued by the time that Batman was in need of a resurgence. He had dropped off and there was no uh, Michael Keaton Batman movie. That was three to four years down the road. But Frank Miller, you know rocked us all with his rendition. I've discussed so many of these different topics that sometimes I'll have a topic on deck that I'm ready to discuss. Uh, again, over all of the transformations from from watching comics off the spinner rack to the Linda Carter Wonder Woman to the big budget movies that we, we now experience. Like, there's been a broad scope and spectrum to discuss topics with you guys, with you, you, you with all of you. And you know, I, I try and curate some 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 stuff that I think will be uh, of interest. That that when, when I can when I can share a secret feud with you, or when I can share like a behind the scenes, I know that those uh, always are are um, of great interest because again, the magazines, the interviews, the oral histories that I have uh, compiled are, are are becoming more and more rare, more and more scarce, and about. Uh, as I've stated on this show, when it is shared, when someone, a creator, a significant creator shares the ideas and the inspirations or his opinions, uh, especially maybe of other creators or corporations in those magazines, those words matter. He may have, she may have changed their minds, but at the time that they, they, they matter and they are of a time and they should be looked at as being of a time. Well, today's topic kind of falls under that of a time and it it is a a friend of mine who is a significant figure in the comic book world in the pop culture world <clears throat> they had asked me randomly just asked me as we were discussing the state of comic books in 2022 as it's coming to a close here he casually asked me and said would you given the conditions that exist today would you create new characters the way that you did with new mutants in X-Force, would you um, create a character like a Deadpool, a character like a Cable? This is, this is, and he was dead serious because he believes that is something that is perhaps holding back new talent from introducing new characters. And 
You know, it was interesting because I understood everything. It's a loaded question. Given the conditions of today, given that that, that Marvel and DC are uh, not as, uh, they're not handing out the same quality of deals that they were when I was incentivized. Because that's what I was. I was incentivized. And creators like me were incentivized, you know, back in the day. Uh, I don't know what, you know, the current state of the deal of, of someone like my friend Wills Protasio on Bishop is, but the reason I'm bringing it up is they asked me to do a cover to Bishop. They're relaunching a bit new Bishop series. Bishop is an exciting uh, X-Men character that Wills Protasio was the key creative force behind uh, when he was introduced in 1989, 1990, you know, little, little fuzzy uh, at the exact date, but I see that cover. I see his introduction. I, I felt the impact. Uh, he followed about a year after uh, Cable, where Cable was kind of a futuristic super soldier. Bishop really was a super, uh, a futuristic cop from kind of the Days of Future Past era that had been established. But Bishop is a instantly recognizable to the mutant, uh, especially the X-Men fans, instantly recognizable figure. Uh, Bishop fans love Cable. Cable fans love Bishop. If, if you were to do a live-action Bishop, they'd be like, well, I can't wait for him to fight Cable. Just like when Josh Brolin was introduced as a live-action Cable, they're like, I can't wait for him to fight Bishop. They, they really are yin and yang in so many of the fans' um, minds, again, coming within a year of each other as they did. But I did this cover of Bishop, and I was so excited to draw a cool cover featuring, you know, Wilson's very influential creation. And, uh, and it made me think, you know, back when we were all just planting these seeds in the X-Men office, trying to grow our own trees, seeing if they'll sprout. Not, not every tree becomes a Wolverine, you know, uh, some trees become Dazzler, which that's a decent sized tree. Some, some trees, you know, become Pyro, which is, you know, not the most significant of tree, but a cool character, cool villain. So, so you never know, but you, 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 you cast the seeds out there and you watch them grow. But today, and again, I, as I drew this Bishop cover and I enjoyed it so much and I hope to share it with you guys on my social media soon, I was thinking about like, again, back at that time and the, and the conditions, we were incentivized. We were incentivized to create these characters and try and compete and, and, and make them the next Wolverines. But when Wolverine was first introduced, I'm not sure that they knew what, what Wolverine was going to become. Now, that doesn't mean that, that he was not purposely uh, introduced uh, the, uh, you know, that, 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 that doesn't, um, you know, mean that Wolverine didn't have a purpose that, that he, that he was, he was absolutely specifically, uh, uh, absolutely specifically put in the Hulk to represent a Canadian agent because Hulk was wandering through the Canadian forest and Marvel was doing a really good job of expanding their international representation. Of course, you know, having a Canadian uh, warrior figure, super agent with claws was exciting, but eventually they kept building on him. But he was a dynamic character from the beginning. He hit my age group. I was uh, almost eight years old when I grabbed that comic. Hulk was a regular for me. I loved Hulk and I loved it for reasons like that. He would encounter new, fresh faces. There is a, I don't have it in front of me, <laughs> and some of you will write and tell me, but there was an issue they teased. Hulk in a gladiator pit fighting a Conan the Barbarian type guy. And he was meant to look exactly like Conan the Barbarian. But when you read the book, he was not Conan the Barbarian. He was another, you know, barbarian character. But yet again, a new character that he would encounter. Wolverine was one of those new characters that he was going to encounter. By putting Wolverine in the giant size X-Men, it gave him another platform with which to exploit. And then by the time John Byrne comes around, you know, 
uh, three years later and, 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 and attaches himself to Wolverine, his he is from Canada himself, John Byrne, and wants to in, in, imbue Wolverine with more importance. And as a result, the character, getting a little extra love and care, grows into this phenomenal, you know, it c- keeps building on its success. Keeps, it, 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 it is rare that, it, that, especially in what I'm going to tell you today, that the, that the character builds on success that that character didn't achieve with the original creator. But when he asked me, would you do it now? Would you do it now? And I really, I really thought about it. And you have to understand who were my generation's uh, inspirations. Who were the creators that were putting forth and showing us the way? And again, I can't, um, uh, you know, uh, I can't uh, share with you enough how much gentlemen like Frank Miller and, um, you know, Walt Simonson, and their seminal runs on not just Thor, but Elektra, uh, uh, but Daredevil, which, which featured the introduction of Elektra, those really informed my generation because, again, they were putting forth new characters, new situations, new concepts that radically changed the book in the same way that when I do it, I'm intending to radically change a book. Walt Simonson, when he took on Thor, Thor may have been in rougher shape than Daredevil was when Frank Miller took it over years prior. I was picking up Daredevil, as I've said to you many times, very important to note at each time, and this may be your first time listening, so for the people who go Liefeld, I know this. I've listened to your podcast, I know this. Well, there's always some someone who is listening to this for the first time, and they need to hear it for the first time, that Daredevil was near cancellation. It was a bi-monthly comic published by Marvel, and, and bi-monthly meant they were making tough decisions. X-Men. Uh, was on bi-monthly until John Byrne ramped it up and took it to new heights and, and was able to hit it on a monthly schedule. And then the sales also warranted that. But many of the books that Marvel was publishing, you know, six times a year, every other month, were because the sales just weren't there to warrant uh, 12 month circulation, but they cared about the character. They wanted to see the character still out there. And the issues of Daredevil that I had been reading in the late 70s up to Frank Miller taking over and introducing himself on the book in 1979. He bought, he, he, he battled Stiltman, he battled the Owl, you know, he battled a, a character called Gladiator. Uh, they, they all just seemed like lesser versions of Spider-Man's villains, and I viewed Daredevil as a um, cheaper version of Spider-Man, which I'm not sure that the entire entirety of fandom kind of always looked at him like that, even in the acclaimed brief window where a, a, a gentleman named Wally Wood, and, and in our, and in our, um, in the podcast episode, you can find in my library an episode called under under uh, comic book feuds. We did an entire, and we'll, we'll do more in the future. But we really did a bunch of uh, comic book feud episodes, and in those feud episodes, uh, th- there's one with Wally Wood and a, a seminal talent in the uh, '60s, early '70s. Long since passed away, but he feuded with Stan Lee over the fact that he was drastically changing Daredevil and making him better and making him acclaimed, and they knocked heads, and eventually Wallywood left. Daredevil hadn't really had that signature appeal maybe since then, but certainly had. when I was reading him, he just wasn't that exciting. Then Frank Miller comes on, and what did Frank Miller do with his first issue? He introduced Elektra, his first issue that he wrote and drew because he had been right, drawing it for the year prior through 1979. Boom, 1980, Elektra. She uncorks an entire new legacy for, for Daredevil, an entire new relationship, a revelation about his past, 
a revelation about where her destiny led her, that she is an assassin for a ninja cult, and she is the deadliest. And it introduced um, all manner of new uh, factions called the Hand, which is uh, a, a faction that she had both been a part of, tangled with, and been opposite of. It introduced Stick, a killer guy named Stick, who was revealed to be the person that trained Daredevil. We had never met the person who trained Daredevil. But this is new character after new character after new revelation that is that is radically altering the, de- the, the, the destiny of this comic book. So much so that, and as you know, again, as you know, if you've listened often, Daredevil became Marvel's number one, com- number one selling comic. It went from not being able to be published uh, every month because the circulation was so low to boom, outselling the X-Men, going all the way to the ch- top of the charts. I mean, we call that from zero to hero. Now, Frank Miller charted a course that would make him the most excited about doing the book and gave him a story that if he was excited and passionate about it, that he felt strongly that you, the reader, would be excited about and, and passionate about it. And we were. And we went on that ride with him. And, and we, we never looked back. And that era of Daredevil it remains undisputed. It is the champ. Uh, all of Frank Miller's body of work was what was used for the three seasons of the Netflix show, which I maintain is the best Daredevil, uh, is the best Marvel episodic television that they've ever produced. All of it's based on the representation of Frank Miller's work. Uh, Scott Glenn appearing as Stick just perfectly. I mean, all of the introduction of the hand, Electra. Now, going forward, I don't know if they're going to continue to mine that that uh, that body of work as much, but but there's still it, it's there to mine. There, there's still different twists and turns and applications that they that they could follow through on. But Frank Miller took his job seriously about being a young uh, penciler living in New York City, wanting to impress his uh, superiors and 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 you know prove that they're the risk that they took on him was justified. And so he never looked back and, and imbued the Daredevil story with so many different creations of his own. Now, I don't know what the incentives were back then. I'm, I'm not sure that they were on par with the, with the way the incentive program was working by the, by the late 80s when I participated and was so eager to give dozens of characters in, uh, in service of also telling you the best story I could. Walt Simonson on Thor in the mid-80s took over Thor, and I swear to you, for two years, it was like Thor was just a fill-in issue. They just had random fill-in issues, and uh, there was no real consistency. They hadn't, the, the, there was no significant creative team. They came in bits and spurts, and they were all seemed to be one-off stories. There was no really momentum behind the book, and then suddenly, Walt Simonson, who had been around, he had done a Hercules book, for DC Comics, he had done Star Wars for Marvel. He had done Battlestar Galactica for Marvel. He had done a Stephen King horror adaptation of of his novel of of his short story, The Lawnmower Man, long before it was brought to cinemas in the nineties. He comes on Thor, and in one episode, introduces a character that we all know as Beta Ray Bill. Catchy name, really offbeat, very strange, orange little alien man who is worthy to wield the power of Thor and transforms into an even bigger version of himself, an ominous, uh, some would say monstrous, distinctly alien uh, visual visualization of this, this, this character who is adorned in a version of Asgardian armor uh, befitting the fact that he transforms in the way that the previous holder of Thor's hammer, Donald Blake, 
would transform into the God of Thunder that we all knew and love. In one, in one issue, he un- Walt unseated everything comfortable that we knew about Thor, that someone else could wield the hammer, that Donald Blake could be put on the sideline. And by the second issue, when it comes along and you think he's going to fix everything, oh, he, they're going to fight over the, the hammer. Odin has, has deemed it that, that they'll put them in, in, a, in conflict with each other and they'll fight. And whoever, uh, you know, wins will get the hammer. Well, you think it's going to rectify itself. It's going to correct itself. This was just a one issue, you know, di- distraction. But no, Beta Ray Bill wins again. And Thor has decidedly, decisively been ruled out as the current wielder of the hammer. And he goes back to Earth uh, in, in, in his Asgardian form and tells Nick Fury, hey, I can do some jobs for you. I can work with you, but I'm no longer, you know, wielding the hammer. And this goes on a, 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 a multiple issue arc where we get to know more about Beta Ray Bill, his transformation, how he views being this worthy successor and, and, and having the power of Thor and, and how Odin navigates it, knowing that his son has been terribly humbled. It doesn't work without Beta Ray Bill. It does not work without this seminal new character. Again, I don't know the incentives behind this, but I know that Walt needed to tell a story that wasn't the same old Thor versus Loki, Thor versus Ulick, Thor, you know, versus whatever threat that was familiar to him now stan and jack and steve ditko and all these guys had had obviously created all these new characters they built the marvel universe on a bunch of fresh faces that we had never seen before you know dr doom galactus uh mole man i mean all all of these fresh faces spider-man's entire rogues gallery but by the time that we're getting to this period where it's almost 20 years later certainly for thor it's 20 years later when when walt needs to shake it up he does it through a brand new character that is the catalyst for tons of new storytelling that he that he brings along with him and both he and frank miller showed everybody you can inject new life with a bunch of new characters why this question was i was dwelling on it is because I've never taken over a front runner as a comic creator for 37 years. I've never taken over a front runner. I've never been given a vehicle that is finely tuned, a uh, a proven winner, and said, "Here, drive this. Just you know, go ahead and drive this." Alan Moore has a very famous phrase that he took over Swamp Thing and when it, when it was very low in the charts and made it a real supernatural. Um, almost mythical. It, it had been supernatural and maybe horrific, a horror, horrified horror comic in the past. Because Swamp Thing is in fact a monster, but he he brought this uh, legend of the green and and a mythology and 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 really almost a cosmic level of awareness and 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 layer to the story. Where Swamp Thing was concerned, it transformed Swamp Thing. What do you think happened? People started talking. People word of mouth. You got to get this. You got to get this. The book went up in sales. Next thing you know. Swamp Thing's a top seller, but after a while, DC started telling Alan Moore what he should do and starting injecting ideas. And Alan Moore said, they, they gave me a, like a broken down car. I, <clears throat> I, I, you know, built it up into great shape and I was driving it around the track and they said, Hey, um, get out, get out of the car and, and let us drive now, you know, get, go sit in the passenger side or get in the back seat. <clears throat> Thanks for fixing this. We'll drive it now. That's typically how a lot of creators feel. Uh, but we have to be, you know, aggressive in what we do in order to bring you the best stories possible. And, and, uh, there's an era of Marvel comics where the new character creation kind of stopped because what happened is Frank Miller leaves Marvel eventually because he's done all these kick-ass Daredevil stories. 
He's done the book. He's had two significant runs. One where he illustrated the entirety of the run, even with the breakdowns, he was still illustrating it. And then he came back and he worked with another seminal talent named David Mazzuccelli, and they did the Born Again arc. Both times, knocked out of the park, riveted people. You you just couldn't put it down. It was was a page turner in the uh, absolute sense of being a page turner. You, you, You felt a loss when you got to the end of the issue because you had to wait 30 more days to get there. That, that is when you have completely connected with the audience. And that's really what this comes down to is connecting with the audience. So I have never taken over a, a proven seller, a Superman, a Batman, a Spider-Man. And, and in, in this instance, Thor was broken down when Walt got to it. Daredevil was running on fumes when uh, Frank got to it. When I got to New Mutants, it was broken down. It was running on fumes. Recently, because I've been going through the issues uh, of Inferno and the fall of the mutants, these X-Men crossovers that happened in years you know, before I got on the book, the new mutants issues that were included in these giant omnibus collections, I'm flipping through it. And especially, there's, there's issues that they paired the artist Brett Blevins with an inker named Terry Austin, who I believe is the greatest finisher, inker, embellisher in the history of comics, not just an age, in the history of comics. Uh, I just, uh, I just, I just really, um, I just, I just cannot tell you how much influence Terry Austin as an inker has had on the way comic books look for the 40 years since he was at his peak, but he paired with Brett Blevins and they made pretty artwork. You know, it was very stylistic. Brett Blevins had a very kind of uh, Disney animation style. And I mean that in the most uh, respectful of manner, it was very, uh, it, 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 uh, Everyone had a very, had, 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 there was a whimsicalness to his characters. You, you could see the flair with which they moved. I mean, they were, they were like, you know, Ralph Baschke uh, drawings. He of, you know, Cool World and Lord of the Rings and, and Fire and Ice. Ralph Baschke was one of the biggest animators of his age, certainly during that time. But whether it was Peter Pan or Snow White or a Ralph Baschke cartoon, Brett had that, you know, flair to his art. And when Terry inked it, he tightened it up and he'd make it crispy. And more, more, uh, even more commercial. But the characters were dull. The situations were dull. Running around Asgard, complaining about their existence, not not having a break, not having a breakout character like Wolverine on X Men, like Archangel on X Factor. Uh, they, they just they, it was kind of a purpose purposeless existence. They 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 almost should have hung a sign on the book. And this is what I felt like as a reader because I was an X Men fan. I bought all the books. I always wanted to make you know, have New Mutants be a better book than I felt like it was. Art Adams did a New Mutant special, uh, spe- special. it was like a 64-page issue that started them off on this journey on Asgard, and they have never looked better, more beautiful. Um, the, the illustrations were stunning, and, and it showed you what was possible, even though, again, they were lacking a breakthrough character like a Wolverine, like a archangel could it have been magic at some point it could have been there was just never enough attention in portraying her in the way that would just separate her from the pack and uh but art adams certainly you know laid out a blueprint but it was lacking in a purpose there was just the book should have hung a sign on it that said hey we're not trying to compete with the flagship x-men books we're just kind of happy to exist because that's it just felt like they were in circles when i got on the book it was my assignment it wasn't just see for you it was a comic book to read for me it was an assignment 
to 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 prove myself and to connect with you, the reader. Just like Frank Miller, Daredevil was a chance to prove himself and connect with you, the reader. And Walt Simonson taking over a very broken down Thor was a chance to connect with you, the reader, and establish that bond. And and in a, in in the episodic way that comic books unfold, gets you to come back month in and month out in the way that. Each of us thought best was to introduce dramatic new characters that change the status quo. A new character in and of itself changes the status quo. Electra changed the status quo of Daredevil, revealed parts of his past, a romance we didn't know about. Her political uh, uh, ties, you know, the, 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 the sinister organizations that, that this, you know, beautiful young student that, that Matt fell in love with in college that she she had now had a sinister side to her and could go toe to toe with his alter ego Daredevil, so it changed the status quo. Beta Ray Bill changed the status quo. Cable changed the status quo of the New Mutants. When I took it over, I said I have to have, I I absolutely have to have this figure that that shakes things up. They had had Headmasters, they had had Xavier, they had had Magneto. Neither of them really kind of got traction. The kids were kind of wandering aimlessly. I felt like, what if we get a super soldier that's come back to look at them as new recruits and he has seen that his training of them is seminal in the the way that the future needs to unfold. He is here to change, change things. Having known everybody, I, I said to Marvel, Cable has seen hundreds of years of mutant, you know, the future because he's from there. So to him, it's their past. And he knows all the mistakes they're going to make. He knows all of the dangers they're going to face. And he is there to... Um, help them get to where they need to be. And that covers a lot of ground. Where they need to be means maybe don't make some of those past mistakes, maybe go in a different direction. And the entire time he is unaware that the villain that we introduced in the same issue, the villain that I created, Strife, is um, going to hold his own giant revelation towards the end that you would find out in New Mutants 100. Creating characters, creating new characters is a way for you to connect um, with the audience and form a bond with them. And also it, to, to really make it really simple to keep your job, to keep your job because maybe they don't want to see another new mutants versus, um, you know, Magneto storyline or a, you know, uh, v- versus the, 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 the hellfire club teens. I think they called them the hellions and white queen. And they never really did it for me. I understood the purpose that they, you know, uh, Served in being kind of a, cattle, a, a, a counterbalance, a, a reflection, the, the sinister viewpoint of the new mutants. The Hellfire Club had their own young mutants. They were training, and obviously we knew as readers the Hellfire Club was, was evil, but it just, didn't, it just didn't take off. It didn't lift up. It didn't carry. I had one chance. Cable had to make a difference, and we had to load his early appearances with as much mystique and, uh, and intrigue that Elektra and the others had. Because, again, I had read the best of these. I knew what to do. You know, when Frank leaves and goes to DC, he also introduces another new female character in Carrie Kelly, a female Robin. She becomes the catalyst for almost everything that happens in the Dark Knight and why it's so great. And and that Batman has to reacquaint himself with the demons that he had thought he had purged or at, at, at very least had settled deep within himself about the death of his former sidekick, Robin. And now he's exhibiting all these same emotions and guilt and anxiety with this young, uh, you know, predecessor, you know, would be successor to his, to, to the, to the Robin moniker. And 
It works fantastic. We love it. We go on that ride, but Carrie Kelly is so instrumental in the Dark Knight, uh, you know, scheme of things. And again, I don't know what the equity situation was. I don't know the incentives, but I do know that Frank needed to, to tell a story that had heart, that packed emotion, that had um, intrigue and suspense. And Carrie Kelly became the new uh, way to facilitate that. Along the way, we get really great portrayals, brand new looks at Superman and Joker and, you know, so many of the other rogues galleries. Of, of, of Batman's rogues gallery, but it is Carrie Kelly that is, again, the catalyst. He created a new character with impact. So, so when my friend asked me, would you do it? So here's my question. Here's my answer. I'm sorry. Here's my answer. Well, I, I don't think you have a choice. If you're going to try and tell the best story, stories you can, and even in today's world of you know, 2020, 2021, 2022, which, is, which I'm going to reference here in a minute, because another gentleman took over uh, Batman a few summers back, James Tinian, and he immediately imbued the Batman, which is a top-selling book. He took over an existing franchise that had been, you know, back on top since Frank Miller in 1986, and has seen lots of different talented names come and go and enjoy, you know, standing on that Batman platform. He boldly introduced Punchline, another, you would say, maybe another kind of Harley Quinn type character another you know another joker type character influenced daughter of joker they said i mean punchline she went over huge they loved her it was like a breath of fresh air the fans roared there was ghost killer there was uh many other new new characters my retail friends would be like hey man you should check out batman it's it reminds me of when you were doing x-force new mutants all the new characters all the new faces all the new situations i understand what that means again to me that's back to Electra. That's back to Beta Ray Bill. That's back to Carrie Kelly. The new characters that come in, that turn, that, that, because new means you have to read to find out about them. There is no presumed history. Whoever the author of the new is, is going to control the narrative. And you're going to have to dial in to their voice specifically to find out what they have to say about that narrative, about that character. And it creates excitement. It creates unease. And, and James Tinian wasted no time in packing that book with all sorts of fresh faces, new names. You know, I've seen Jorge Jimenez, the incredible artist that he worked alongside. I've seen him get excited over the action figures in the recent years, in, 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 in the last year that they're making of these characters. And I know what that feels like. For, for me, it was 1991 seeing Cable and, and Deadpool and Domino and Strife all come in the form of plastic action figures. It's suddenly exciting when your characters on the page become plastic, you know, Objects that you can hold and hang out with and, 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 and pose and let your fa- fantastical mind, you know, run with these, with these, you know, plastic renditions uh, that come in this great packaging. Man, the packaging has never been better, right? But again, Batman, James Tinian of this era in the last, you know, 24 months stood up and delivered these incredible new faces that invigorated Batman. Uh, once again, separated it from the pack. It became the book everyone was talking about. Now, because of that success, because of the acclaim that he was getting on that book, I mean, the, the, the stars were aligning for him. You know, he was able to go and give more spotlight to his creator-owned work, launch new books. But he, he proved to people, I'm a voice to be reckoned with. Frank Miller said, I'm a voice to be reckoned with. Walt said, I'm a voice to be reckoned with. And yes, people, I said, I am a voice to be reckoned with. You have no idea what I have up my sleeve, but I'm asking you to trust me with these characters. And I think I know uh, because I have a passion for this, because I'm a fan of this 
these characters and this world, this X-Men world, I think I know that you will follow me where I will lead you because I'm going to lay the breadcrumbs out in such a mysterious fashion that you will continue to come back and learn and, and follow the narrative that I'm laying out for you. And that is what creating new characters does. More than saying, hey, I get a percentage of this when it's a TV show and an action figure, it's, it could be the difference between your career's success and failure and whatever comes next. Because being the guy that gave you know all these new characters opened the door for me to give you even more new characters. And everyone took that leap of faith when I went and I built the franchises of Youngblood and Profit and Supreme and Brigade and Bloodstrike and all the others over at Extreme Studios as part of our Image Comics launch. And you know, you 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 build up that trust, you build that re- up up that reserve. Again, James Tinian, Jorge Jimenez just did this on the biggest books in the land. And if Frank Miller just came on to do the further adventures of Stiltman, he certainly did great action choreography. I think it would have been fun. If he just came on to do uh Owl, which you know, I, I never really got to see Frank do a great owl story. But if he just came on to do that, I'm sure that the action choreography and the visual representation that he brought to the owl would have been um, instantly recognizable, maybe the most iconic representation of that character. Instead, he said, trust me with these new characters because they are the the key to unlocking a story and a journey that you're going to want to take with me. Ditto with Beta Ray Bill. Ditto with Cable and Deadpool and Domino and Shatterstar and that entire world that I was creating because I needed to. New Mutants didn't have Wolverine. It didn't have Spider-Man. It didn't have Batman, obviously. It didn't have Superman, obviously. But I've never experienced taking over something that's running well. I don't know that I would even handle it well. In the last, again, another answer to this question, would I create new characters basically that would have limited upside for my participation? That's what the question came down to. I took over. Uh, the G.I. Joe, I, well, I didn't take it over there. It was still a G.I. Joe book, but I took my shot. I took my shot at a, at a at a Snake Eyes series. I was aghast that so many people had moved on and moved away from G.I. Joe. So I entered the fray and I created a bunch of new characters, a new villain named Dead Game. I created a new female foil with a pass with Snake Eyes called Olympia. You guys went on that journey with me. We like raised the the, the sales times 30, whatever. We, we, did, we hit 100,000 sales from from gi joe that book was doing three thousand sales we took uh the, the the readership to an all-new platform i don't own those characters i got a cool red dead game snake eyes out of it that hasbro sent me and mass produced and that's cool but i knew this is these are hasbro's characters these aren't my characters but if i want to make that connection with you if i want to fulfill my end of the bargain as being the creative voice on a book that i'm asking you to follow me on, then I have to bring my very best. And bringing my very best means creating fresh stories, not another Joker story, not another Riddler story, not another Lex Luthor story. We've seen all manner of great twists and turns on all of those things. And and while you may be certain that you can deliver the new one that no one's seen, I'm more interested in trying to uh, take you down a path that is that is fresh. And and that is why I believe. Now you can say, but Lightfield, you did the Avengers and Captain America. Remember, those were broken. 
Captain America was selling 24,000 copies and had been disregarded by fandom. They wanted all the X-Men books, all the Spider-Man books, pretty much anything Marvel was publishing, they wanted more than they wanted Captain America, which was at the bottom of the food chain. For an entire year, Marvel tried to, the editor tried to, as I've, as I've, as I've laid out in the Heroes Reborn episodes, tried to convince Marvel, don't give these, don't outsource these. We were part of the outsourcing. I don't think we use that name enough. Outsourcing, outsourcing. The A-list characters were X, X-Men and Spider-Man. Those were the franchises. Even Hulk was, was doing better than Cap and the Avengers. But they gave them to us. They were broken. We fixed them. Jim fixed the Fantastic Four. He fixed Iron Man. I fixed Avengers. I fixed Captain America. So I still haven't been at the helm of something that was selling really well. Um, somebody like an Eric Larson took over Spider-Man after Todd McFarlane, one of the toughest gigs I can ever possibly imagine someone having to do. A follow-up act that I think is pretty unbearable. Andy Kubert following up uh, uh, Jim Lee on X-Men is is nobody's idea of, of a good time. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> it, it is, um, it, it, it's, it's absolutely like, would you want to follow like the most, you know, popular, um, the most popular artist to draw the X-Men, the best-selling X-Men artist of all time and, and have to follow that? Uh, you know, I, I just, uh, I just, uh, I, I don't envy what Adam, either of the Cubers did, but they did it exceptionally. And Eric Larson did it exceptionally and, and sales remained high and fans loved Spider-Man and fans stayed with the X-Men under the Cubert um, pencils. Th- those are tough gigs. Those are tough gigs. Guys like myself, Frank Miller, Walt Simonson, I guess we're just attracted to things that are more broken down, that need fixing, that, that need a, a facelift. Snake Eyes, shooting up and selling better than it had in 30, 25 years was a huge achievement. If you want to say, Rob, it was actually 18 years. I, I don't care. You get the picture. Uh, it, it, it was a shame, a damn shame that something as acclaimed as the G.I. Joe franchise as Snake Eyes himself was not doing as well. James Tynion. Grabs Batman, says, I got to shake this up. There have been a million Joker stories. There have been a million of these recent, you know, incursions back to uh, Batman's past. I'm going to give you all new enemies, faces, foes, some some maybe anti-heroes. Are they friends? Are they foes? And the book blew up. I remember my retailers were telling me Batman was the talk of the town. And James Tynion left after about a year and a half. He was he was done. He, He went to go do his other pursuits. He had proven himself. He had proven that he could take you on this amazing journey on no less than the top selling book and he reinvigorated it. So you're going to follow him. You're going to follow that guy. You're going to trust that guy. You're going to trust that voice. And so often creating the new character is part of fulfilling the contract that we have with all of you as readers that we are going to take you on a journey. When I am given an assignment, I just don't take it to draw it and get paid. I am taking it to fulfill. I have been given this show to run uh, doing a book and not introducing new characters is like doing an album of all covers you know and and uh, and certainly you know it, it comes to mind in, in recent years and, and uh, a singer named rod stewart who was really big in the 70s and the 80s uh you know just 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 uh, hit after hit over hit original hits but as the 80s turned to the 90s he took his very unique crooning voice and he has got a great voice and he started doing covers of old 50s 60s you know songs ballads motown um they weren't his songs but his voice made them fresh and new but it it would be like 
to me, when you take over a book and all you do is the status quo, you are just doing uh, covers. You, you, are, you are singing someone else's songs. And I think when you can create and craft a new song, because it may be necessary, it may be necessary to break free from the pack. I keep hitting the James Tynion, uh, you know, bells as, as, as hard as I do because how recent it is. You know, it, everyone knows may, maybe there's not a giant transaction. Maybe there's not a lot of incentive in creating new characters anymore. Lord knows my first assignment with Dove, I didn't think I was going to see anything out of uh, the, the, the Dove creation. And I was thrilled to be able to break the mold that they had in mind for Dove. The editor just wanted literally the costume that the male Dove wore to be transported to a female's body. And I said, so basically we are doing male Dove with a bigger a female chest. I mean, that's really all you've got. If, and, and I fought for the shawl, the, the, the whip of the hair, the hairline. They, they didn't want any hair exposed at all. I fought and fought and fought and I won and Dove broke out. And what did it do? It gave me a platform to get hired and draw the X-Men books. I did an X-Men assignment. I did an X-Factor assignment. I did annuals. I did Spider-Man. That's what Dove, the female Dove of Hawk and Dove. So do I know what I'm talking about? I do. You got to do what you're going to do to stand out. And often that's creating something new, a fresh twist. There was a period of Marvel that I was the most uninterested in. And here's where we'll wrap this all up. And it was after Frank Miller had left and Seminole Talents, John Byrne had left, and Marvel in the mid-80s, starting with about Secret Wars in 1985 and the black costume on Spider-Man, a lot of people referred to that as New Marvel. New Coke, New Coke had changed the formula. They called themselves New Coke. They wanted to compete with Pepsi, so they changed the formula. They changed Coke, and what was on the shelves was New Coke, and they advertised it, but it was rejected. Now, I'm not going to say this stuff was rejected, but they call New Marvel because for a period, an era, a season of the Marvel titles... Captain America stopped being Captain America. He became the U.S. agent, who many of you met in the Winter Soldier, the Falcon and Winter Soldier show that was on Disney Plus. But U.S. agent, uh, you know, Cap was now in a black uniform with red and white stripes, and his shield changed and his visual representation changed. He was still a Captain America type figure, but it was you know he 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 went from the character went from being the super the the, the super patriot to the U.S. agent. Hulk became gray. Thor got a brand new armored costume with a full beard. Uh, Spider-Man had his black costume on and Iron Man got silver and red armor for the first time, uh, permanently delineating his old gold and red armor. The the scarlet and gold armor was gone and they did an ad of all of them standing side by side. And we've covered this on an episode, a podcast episode, Jimmy J, a retailer and convention uh, owner of of the Amazing Comic Cons. And I did a dedicated episode about New Marvel and it was basically 85 to 87, 88. And they changed all the characters and that was it. And that was most reflective of kind of what happened in the 2000s when Marvel said, hey, we're not going to give you a lot of new characters anymore. We're not sure where we stand on this because the incentives are a little funky. But what we're going to do is we're going to put a fresh coat of paint on all these characters. We're going to give you lots of derivatives. We're going to make Spider-Man into Miles Morales in the Ultimate Universe. We're going to give you a, a younger Spider-Man in the, multi, in the Ultimate Universe to begin with. Later, we're going to introduce Miles Morales out of that. We're just going to keep doing the same thing. We're going to give you Ultimate X-Men, younger X-Men that reflect maybe more the film dynamic where they're not exactly in their costumes but they're in black leather a lot um we're going to give you the ultimates which is a different more mature version of the avengers but it's still cap and iron man and wasp and giant man or yellow jacket hank pym um and thor they they they, they became echoes it was an age of echoes and it was like the new coke era because things happen in cycles they they turned down the new character applications 
and really leaned all the way into in both the new Marvel era in the mid-late 80s, again, 85 to 87, Gray Hulk, Black Suit Spider-Man, Black Suit Cap as U.S. Agent, Silver and and, and Red Armor, uh, Iron Man, full armored, head-to-toe, bearded uh, Thor. They just, they really changed it up and said, hey, we're not going to, and at that time, it felt as if there were the least amount of new characters. There was not a new Electra, a stick, a Beta Ray Bill uh, emerging. It just, it just felt like, like this exciting era. There was no new Wolverine character. Uh, that, that era of Marvel was kind of a retread. Like, we've put fresh coats of paint on our flagship characters, and we want that to be the thing that interests you the most. And it wasn't. And it was the time that I was the most divorced from Marvel, uh, buying the least amount of Marvel, and, and, and certainly the least excited about any of the Marvel that I was buying. Same with the early 2000s, when it was like, well, we're not going to give you a ho- whole lot new anymore, but we're going to give you a different a Spider-Man, but younger. The X-Men, but younger. The Avengers, but more mature. And... Uh, you know, that, that seemed to be something that they stick to. And that's what happens when they decide to kind of turn the faucet off in regards to giving you a lots of new characters because the word was getting out. We're not going to do those kind of shares anymore. We're not giving those kind of equity incentivized deals like Wolf's Portacio got to do Bishop and Rob Liefeld got to do Deadpool and Cable and, uh, and, 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 and Michelini and, and, and Todd got to do Venom. And so they turn that back behind the scenes. And then suddenly the, the, the mission statement from on top is we really want to give fresh coats of paint on, you know, there's a lot of cap books. There was, I think cap suddenly had two to three, four books during this period. Um, you know, including his representation in the ultimate Spider-Man again, it was, we want to give you the stuff that works and we're not really interested in, 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 in expanding with these new characters. And, uh, and, and we're asking you to trust us and, and we're going to do our best to make this the most interesting thing possible to you, the reader. Well, for me, that fell flat. I, I wasn't really excited about reading young X-Men battling Magneto for the first time. I had read the best Magneto X-Men stories ever, and as good as those Ultimate books were, none of them compete with the best, the classic of the uh, Byrne, Claremont, the Cockrum, Claremont, the Paul Smith, Claremont, the Frank Miller, Claremont stuff. I mean, that stuff is the 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 absolute Hall of Fame X-Men stuff, and no, nothing that happened in that Ultimate's world you know, competed with that when they, when they read, when they did their reversioning, reversioning, that's a new word. When they did their, their new fresh coat of paint on the Avengers in the middle of the 2000s, it was that they brought Spider-Man and, and, and Wolverine to be part of the team. They had never been Avengers before. So the most popular Marvel character period, Spider-Man and the most popular X-Men character, probably the number two most popular uh, character at Marvel period, Wolverine, they put them on the team. Again, not fresh faces, not, not a new, new spin. They, they wanted you to be attracted to putting all of these kind of icons in a new formation so that that would be the thing that attracted your attention. Hey, look, Iron Man and Cap are now standing alongside Spider-Man and Wolverine. And that was the attention. So it was a a repositioning of existing icons and we weren't getting stick and Electra and Beta Ray Bill and Cable and Deadpool and Strife and Bishop and Gambit and Venom, okay? And Carnage. The 70s and the uh, 90s are the most exciting post-Stan Jack, you know, birth of the Marvel Universe work. Come on, you had to have all those new characters. You had to, be, you know, be on board with that. The, the, the post-Kirby-Stan uh, Dawn of Marvel stuff, the most, the most 
uh, expressive and exciting time for Marvel was the 70s and the 90s because characters were being created rapid fire, rapid fire. And you didn't know what they, what, what mysteries they hold, what stories they were going to tell, what their journeys they were going to take you on. But they did because they were fresh. And, and we are always up. The audience is always interested in something fresh. You know, with Andor, Tony Gilroy has taken the familiar. He took some components that we understood from Rogue One, and he has given us all new characters that are grabbing us each and every week. I cannot get enough of Endor, and I love all of the fresh faces, all of the new intrigue that they bring, and the stories that they could possibly, uh, you know, the, 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 the stories that could possibly untold beyond what were being shared. That is the power of fresh and new. And so my question the question that was posed to me, would you do it now? Well, I am doing it now. And the people who really want to break out and stand out are doing it. James Tinian, Jorge Jimenez, they took Batman by the balls and they give you all those, they gave you all those exciting characters that, that you, your head was spinning. You couldn't believe that, that Batman's universe was expanding yet again with, with some really big talent and big execution of that talent on a giant stage. And it reinvigorated the title. Because sometimes you absolutely have to give it a shot in the arm no matter what it costs because it is the step that you're going to take with your readers and show them how much you can entertain them with your fan base and show them how much that that you are showing them. I can take you on incredible journeys. Frank Miller did it with me. I can relive those pages like they were yesterday. I can take you through the heartache, the thrills, the, 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 the consequences, the danger, all of it instantaneously. And I, I just, I, I am so thrilled to recall those and have been not just entertained by Frank Miller, but inspired by him to do the same. And then again, watch other creators do the exact same thing. It is exciting. So do I believe that in today's marketplace, if you are working at one of the big two, that you should take a big swing, introduce new characters, no matter what, maybe the incentives are limited now more than ever, because that could be the platform that launches you to much greater things, just as it did every single name that I have invoked here today. Your new character that you may have to share for the rest of your life, but hey man, 5% of that new character, whatever percentage you get of that new character, whatever fee you get of that new character, may be more than 100% of a bunch of original characters that don't ever take flight. But that platform that you have with Marvel and DC is so large that it could launch you. I mean, I am 37 years into a career and, and do I owe it to Dove? Don Granger, Dove from Hawk and Dove. Do I owe it to Cable and Domino and Deadpool? I do. Those, those were powerful seeds. They gave me powerful rocket fuel in the same way that they gave Walt and Frank and John Byrne and so many others along the way. So there is my answer. Yes, of course you should. Tell stories. That's part of your contract with the reader is to entertain them. And entertaining them with something fresh, um, I think we've proven today, is a winning formula. You all know how much how, how passionate I am about comics, and I, and I love discussing history and cycles and achievements uh, that other creators that, that really paved the path for so many of us have, have laid out before us. I think it's really simple. I think the, the path is always very simple. I don't think comic creators think about uh, percentages. I think they think about the, 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 the most invested storytellers want to take you on a great story. And if that involves a new character and that they have to share it or they don't have to own it, they understand. They understand that that is part of the contract. Again, with um getting you to invest in their career first and foremost. Because what are you doing if you're not getting people to invest in your career? So, I mean, again, super passionate about this um, 
this question that was asked to me and it really lingered with me and it continues to linger with me. And again, it, it made me recall the past and the people that I saw do it and the model, the, the, you know, the model that they presented for me, the role model uh, with their work and their achievements and, and, and showing what's possible. And again, uh, you know, I just, you just uh, status quo is not something that I am ever really invested in. So you are all so very generous uh, with your time and listening to me. And uh, I, I just cannot, again, express my gratitude to you uh, 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 for hanging out with me each and every session. Rob Observations has um, been growing and the audience, uh, which is you, are, are so kind and generous in, in, in sharing your, uh, your, your enthusiasm for the show. And when you, um, uh, when you guys have, uh, have shared this with me, I just, it just really, really inspired me. It, it inspires me when you guys show me the passion. You've showed me the passion when I go on the road, which currently I'm not on the road. I won't be back out probably till 2023, mid 2023, if that, but, um, you know, there's social media, we can talk and we can exchange and, and you guys leave these reviews for me on these platforms, but I would meet you in person or I'd read your reviews here. And you guys, it, it touches me because I probably would have hung this up after the first year telling a certain amount of stories, but I continue to engage because I'm learning as much as you are because of this challenge to stay engaged, to stay, you know, in this back and forth that we have. When you guys leave reviews for this show, it helps us stand out on the platforms so very much. The Apple reviews, all the reviews that you guys um, can leave and drop for us and the five stars, the high rankings, the, the great recommendations. I am so thankful. I read them at the end of every show today. I am going to read uh, a, 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 Recent review by Vader the Trader. He gave us five stars. Vader the Trader gave us five stars. The the headline is Comic Book Masterclass Every Time, which I'm very grateful for that headline. It says, I've been a Rob Liefeld fan since his work back when I was a kid. I've tweeted back and forth with him on Twitter over the years. I am totally addicted to his whatnot shows. And because of his whatnot shows, I started listening to this podcast. I've at this point made it through about 75% of his shows, and I will listen to them all eventually. There is no comic creator as accessible as Rob Liefeld. People get in there and get the experience because the guy brings it each and every time that you see him. Listen to his podcast and learn. Check out his whatnot shows and see him present and remark and draw for you. I have quite a great, I have, I have quite a good Rob Liefeld comic collection. It continues to grow and you will too if you get to know this guy and his humor. Keep it up, Rob. I look forward to each and every episode of Rob Observations and all of your appearances on whatnot. I have never learned so much about comics history and creation than from these podcasts and the impressions that you do crack me up every time. Jim Scott, aka Vader the Traitor. Thank you, Vader the Traitor. Again, I am so touched that you would even commit to writing that and allowing me to read it at the end of the show. I am so thankful. Thank you for watching me on the Whatnot live streams. We certainly do have a really good time on those. And thank you for listening to the podcast as I impart, as I did today, as I did today, this challenge. Would you, would you still do this given today's conditions? And the answer is a resounding yes, yes with Snake Eyes, yes with uh, with Deadpool. I mean, I've got new Deadpool work that I'm doing now. I'm creating even there, there are fresh and new characters I'll be creating because they're necessary to generating a fresh story from my perspective. But thank you, Vader the Trader. Thank you for that generous review. You guys, I'm all over social media. Again, you leave your reviews on these platforms. I'll find them um, and I'll read them at the end of every show. 
He mentioned speaking with me, uh, Vader the Trader mentioned speaking with me on, on, on Twitter. Yes, I am all over social media. Catch me on Twitter. I am at Robert Liefeld, the full name. I couldn't get Rob Liefeld, but I've had Robert Liefeld on there for almost 15 years. Please check me out. I love to talk to you, read your comments, go back and forth. Sometimes there's some discourse. It's fun. Um, let's hang out together over on Twitter. I am at Robert Liefeld. I would used to say there's a blue check next to my name, but I'm not really sure that that is any sort of verification any longer. Uh, on Instagram, I'm at Rob Liefeld. I got the Rob Liefeld moniker. I got there early enough. My wife said, you need to get on there. You need to be on this app. It's cool. It's a cool um, photo sharing app. That is kind of like my photo journalist uh, diary, you know, uh, uh, submissions that I, that I, that I give to you guys, like, like the the rest of us do on Instagram. I'm sharing where I'm at, what I'm eating, maybe, maybe something I read in the past, maybe a a drawing that I'm doing some stuff from the past. I I, I lay it out all, all on my Instagram feed. I am at Rob Liefeld on Instagram does have again, a blue check. I'm that, that should tell you that it's really me. And it is, it is really me. So the aforementioned whatnot, whatnot is an app you should grab. You should get a hold of whatnot. It is the hottest place to buy and share uh, collectibles, whether you're looking for the best Funko Pops, action figures, uh, sports apparel, kicks, sneakers, uh, you know, anime, manga, all these different categories. I'm in the comic book and toys category most of the times and on my live streams, which sometimes go two to four hours. I'm on the air looking you right in the face. You're talking to me. I emanate from my, uh, I broadcast, my signal emanates. I broadcast from my studio, often sitting in a comfortable beanbag. Discovered that about a month back after I was tired at sitting at my desk. But anyway, I share with you signed comics, exclusives. I've done a number of uh, exclusive books with whatnot, Deadpools, uh, New Mutants, uh, Spider-Man covers, Brigade, my Brigade 30th anniversary. We've done a number of whatnot variants that you can only get from our whatnot whatnot live streams, and also classic stuff I share with you. I have different signatures, uh, d- different different remarks. I draw, I share art, but the entire time I'm blathering, and people say it's kind of an extension of this podcast, and it's hard to argue that it's not. Um, if you like to watch cars crash, watch my live stream. I am the car. I most certainly will crash. So check that out. Download the Whatnot app. Find me. I'm Rob Liefeld on there, and, and let's hang out. On Facebook, I have a Facebook group. It's called Rob Liefeld, an extreme group. Rob Liefeld, an extreme group. Find me there. Uh, if you if you are clicked through by myself or an administrator, uh, a moderator named Terry Sala, S-A-L-A, you, you'll know that you're in the right place. That's us. That is our group. That is the legitimate group. We want you to be a part of it. It's growing every day. We do art contests. We share all manner of things, not just the stuff that I've written and drawn and created, but 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 characters that I've worked on. So it's open season, Captain America, Avengers, Fantastic Four, G.I. Joe. We discuss all of it. Please join us on Rob Liefeld an extreme group on Facebook, either myself or Terry Sala will click you through. Every episode, at the end of every episode, bottom line, I want you to be doing fun stuff for yourself. As as I battle the depression of shorter days because I hate daylight, saving time. I can't stand it. I hate when it goes dark at five o'clock. I, I, I'm struggling like, oh, I don't want to get down. I want to, you know, keep my spirits high. Well, I do that by cracking old comic books, current comic books, graphic novels, watching a cool streaming show, um, gobbling down a cupcake, a cookie, uh, a slice of pizza, a taco. You're like, Liefeld, your diet's terrible. It is. It's terrible. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, but but you need to have a cheat day. You need to escape. I don't have a milkshake every day, okay? But But when I do... Boy, is it special. Boy, does it make me happy. And maybe I'm drinking it while 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 watching Andor or or watching a rerun of Mandalorian season two, or I'm reading uh, uh, the, the Burn 
X-Men classics or his Fantastic Four because he's like my favorite creator of all time. You know what I'm talking about. I want you to be fulfilled uh, creatively and spiritually, physically, emotionally, mentally. And I think the best way that I get there is, um, you know, reading through uh, and, and, and watching and viewing stuff that I really enjoy the very most. Case in point, the pandemic, I pulled out my old, when the pandemic hit, I was very, you know, very depressed the day before. I knew it was coming. I, I knew we were headed for a lockdown. I went and got more beanbags for everybody in my, our family to kind of sequester ourselves. We wanted to put our beanbag up against the window and look out uh, out the view, out the backyard, upstairs, whatever, and just, uh, you know, cuddle up with a great book, a comic book. For me, I got my old Logan's Run trilogy book, Logan's Run, Logan's World, and I forget the other one, but I read all three of them in those early weeks, months of the pandemic. I just escaped. I revisited my past. I hadn't read those books in, in forever. The Logan's Run world is phenomenal. Those books are fantastic. And I read through the entire trilogy and I felt myself calm, calming, escaping, my my imagination being tickled, being stimulated again. We all are looking for some sort of distraction which turns into some sort of inspiration. And that is my hope for you. And I'm rooting for you. And this is my fist bump through the mic with you, rooting for you, rooting you on. Take care of yourself. That's the bottom line. Please, I'll be here waiting for you one more time. Swing on through the cul-de-sac and, uh, and we'll spend another session together because I most certainly, positively, distinctly, decidedly look forward to talking to you again real soon.